So let's join together in prayer right now. Our Father, we thank you that you are the living Lord. We thank you that you are God. Always have been, you always will be. But you've brought us into life with you through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for the privilege of your Holy Spirit living within us and making us new. We thank you for your word, which leads us, that your word is, is filled with your presence. It's as alive and as powerful as you yourself are. And we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit as we consider your word together this morning. We ask for your speaking within our hearts as we uh, consider again the, the story that we have known for wonderfully for so long of Jesus' triumph over death. We ask that you will work in us to welcome your search within our hearts even as we read your word together and that we'll welcome your refining so that we grow in Christ-like character and in the wholeness and freedom only he gives. So come and lead us now, we ask in Jesus' name. So as Daryl has already said, Christians throughout the centuries on Resurrection Sunday have made that declaration, the Lord is risen. And the reply comes, he's risen indeed. And so I wanna start us off with that as well. The Lord is risen. The resurrection, <laughs> the resurrection is by far the most important event in history in the history of our broken world, and it's the only hope that this world has. Hear the resurrection account then from Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse one. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. After the crucifixion, the religious leaders feared that Jesus' followers would try to do something sneaky. They had guards posted so that no one could steal the body. 
or if, God forbid, Jesus did revive, that they could do something about it. So we take up the account after the crucifixion on the Sunday morning. The two Marys came to the tomb wondering how the stone could be removed so that they could properly embalm the body. Matthew tells us there was an earthquake. An angel rolled back the stone and Matthew gives us this interesting detail that he sat on the stone to show that the tomb was already empty. The appearance of the angel was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus. Now take note that he didn't say this to the guards who were not looking for Jesus but rather were trying to control Jesus. Why didn't he say it to the guards? The answer is, For everyone looking for Jesus, he has come to give life, and he wants to be found. For anyone not wanting to find Jesus, not wanting the only hope that the world has, for those people, be afraid. Only he is the way, the truth, and the life. Refusal of what he offers needs to be terrifying. The women met Jesus. He is alive. Everything, oh, everything has changed because he is alive. We're hearing that phrase, everything has changed, quite a bit these days because of COVID-19. Things have changed. Uh, But this is the one that has changed the world forever. He isn't dead. He has defeated death. He is present with us. We are not alone. We are not without hope. The greatest event ever to be followed in 50 days by the continuation of the greatest event. Pentecost, where the same power which raised Jesus from the grave comes to live and work in us, giving us new hearts and the very righteousness of Jesus to be our own, making us the body of Christ. Jesus says, do not be afraid. For us who are looking for Jesus, we are invited not only to leave fear behind, but to enter wonder, to enter vivid joy, to enter the day-by-day vitality of what we have been given here and now, as well as eager anticipation of what we will experience forever. Here's what we've been given. Here is the wonder that we are invited to live right now. We find a tracing of it through the book of Matthew. In Matthew 27, when Jesus died on the cross, Matthew records for us that the veil in in the temple was torn in two. It was showing us that we have been given access to the Holy of Holies, to God himself. We are invited to come right to his very throne of grace because the sin of the world, which kept us separate from God, has been paid for in full. There is no more barrier, at least from God's side, he has removed it if we will only respond to what he's given. 
In Matthew 17, Matthew records for us the account of the transfiguration. Luke's record of it says, Jesus' face changed and his clothes became like lightning. What were the disciples seeing? They were seeing Jesus in a glorified state without the limitations of this broken world, without being separated from God. Jesus was with God the Father, with the Father as the very center of his life, shining with the glory of God, but, but more than reflecting it, he was shining with the glory that God had given him. And Jesus gives us a little insight in John 17. As he's praying his high priestly prayer, he's praying, Father, I've given them the glory that you have given me. That glory that the Father poured on the Son has also been included for us. Matthew 28, the passage we just read, the angel had that same glory. It was like lightning, a brightness that shines like we never see, rarely see in this world. In Acts chapter nine, we read the account of the future apostle Paul, still called Saul in chapter nine, on the way to Damascus. Suddenly a light blinds him. Paul tells us later on that he became a witness of the resurrection of Christ. He saw the resurrected Christ and so that qualified him to be an apostle. John tells us in John 20 and 21 that he also was a witness of the resurrected Christ. He experienced him in the 40 days that Jesus walked on this earth before his ascension. But then he meets Jesus again in Revelation chapter one. And when he meets Jesus in Revelation one, he describes him as fire, as molten metal, a face shining like the sun. Paul amazingly tells us in Ephesians chapter one, verses 17 through 23, and especially in verse 19, the same power which raised Jesus from the grave is working in us right now. It is a power to make us alive and whole, and it is for us, but it's not to draw attention to us. Instead, that power is in us so that we can show who God is, so that others get to seek him and know him and joining us in being set free from fear. First Corinthians 12 talks about some of the gifts that Jesus has poured out on the church. And in verse seven it says, each one of us has been given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit so that we can benefit others, so that they in turn can see God through his people. C.S. Lewis describes this world as the shadow lands. Our earth is filled with glory there's beauty, there's majesty, but there's also the brokenness of our sin and darkness that sin has brought into the world. In commenting on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great resurrection chapter, we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 
that our bodies are like seeds that must die and fall into the ground, but what will come from them is something we cannot yet imagine. What is buried, sown, perishable, and mortal will be raised imperishable and immortal. And in commenting on that chapter, C.S. Lewis says, if any of us could see one of our brothers and sisters in Christ in their resurrected glory, we would be tempted to fall at their feet in worship because the very glory of God has been shared with us. Paul talks about it. The glory of God has been given to us in these jars of clay, but it's present. The resurrection power of Jesus lives in us. A couple of years ago, I read a book by a man named John Burke. John Burke is a pastor in Texas, and he wrote a book entitled Imagine Heaven. The thesis of the book is God has given us the ability to be able to imagine, to be able to look at what we see now and to anticipate things that could happen so that we can prepare for them. So within our culture, for instance, we imagine what retirement might look like. And through our working years, with that imagining, we prepare ourselves for it. We prepare in terms of savings. We prepare in terms of plans of what we might do when, when we don't have to do the eight to five on a regular basis. The thesis of the book says, since we can imagine retirement, we prepare for it. We can imagine heaven. And since we can imagine heaven, we can imagine eternity, we can prepare for it. Burke himself became a believer by reading a book. He was with his father who was dying from cancer. He sat in a vigil overnight with his father who uh, was in a coma. And so he was in, essentially in the room without conversation and he noticed on his father's bedstand there was a book. It was a 1970 uh, initial research project on near-death experiences. Burke picked up the book and started to read it. He read the account by a researcher of what people experienced when their bodies physically died, their hearts stopped, and clinically they were dead and then minutes or hours later came back to life and reported on what it was that they experienced. After Burke read the book, he thought to himself, if there's even a chance that there is life after death, I need to find out what it's about because at that point he was not a believer. And so he started to pursue religion and came to the scriptures and started to read the Bible and became a believer. He became a follower of Jesus and became new from the inside out. Because of that beginning for him, he's, he's kind of kept track. He's made it a hobby to look at people's other near-death experiences and what they've experienced and what they report on. He says about a third out of literally thousands of reports, people report that uh, they experienced something terrible, terrifying, dark. It scared them to the core of their being. Many experience a bright light that they see and they start to walk toward it only to discover that the bright light in many cases for their experience is a person. In many cases, Jesus. Burke says, are their experiences valid? Well, maybe, maybe not. 
But as he goes through looking at those different experiences, he directs us to scripture to look to see what heaven says about life. Life present here, life eternal. What heaven will be like. And he draws us back to that so that we start to prepare because we can imagine it. We can start to prepare for eternity. We can come to know the living God in person. We can come to know that one who has defeated death. Right now we're facing a pandemic. In facing the pandemic, we need to be wise to take the appropriate steps to keep ourselves healthy and to protect people around us. But do not be afraid. Know who you are in Christ, your whole new identity, that you have been buried with Christ and raised to newness of life, that the old is gone and the new has come and the righteousness of Jesus has been given to you. Know where you're going, what is ahead, and above all, know him. Know our God. Live in the wonder of the resurrected life here and now. Isaiah 6 tells us that the whole earth is full of his glory at this very moment. Look around you. Look out the window. Look at people. Turn your heart to him. Pray. Look. Listen to the voice of God. He is pouring his love on you. Pastor Timothy Keller in his sermon, The City, points to St. Augustine's fifth century work, The City of God. In The City of God, Augustine contrasted two cities. The city of man, which is made by humans and is intended for protection and prosperity. It seeks to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, independent. And that's contrasted with the city of God, the one to which Abraham was progressing and we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, which is made by God and in which all those who are redeemed by Christ share. As Christians, we belong to the city of God now and forever because we've been made alive in Christ. But we also live in the city of man because we're here. In the city of man, you're taught to look out for yourself, to have me time. The city of man is marked by pride and self-achievement, hard work. We're told to be as prosperous, as rich as possible, to accomplish as much as possible, to climb as high on the ladder as possible. The city of man is characterized by exhaustion, various forms of acceptable and unacceptable addiction and oppression and bondage. Identity for an individual comes by their profession. What do you do? And it also comes by contrast, what I am not. The old saying, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls that do. In practical terms, the worth of others is measured by the way their life benefits my life. The city of God is a place of peace rather than pride, a place of grace rather than human effort. The citizens are living to give rather than to get. It's a place marked by joy. Justice is given to all and the weak are treasured and cared for. In practical terms, 
The worth of others is priceless because they are, not because of what they do. And my life is to be lived to benefit them. Augustine tells about Christians during the plague that took place over a 15-year period, the years 251 to 266 A.D., Many of us have studied in high school about the plagues that ravished London, Britain, and much of Europe from 1348 to 1350, known as the Black Death. And it resulted into up to 200 million deaths in Britain and Europe. There were other outbreaks of plague throughout history. This one from 251 to 266, it is said that at the height of the outbreak of the disease, 5,000 people a day were said to be dying in Rome. While most people tried to escape from the cities and left the sick and dying, sometimes even close family members who were stricken, the Christians stayed in the cities to care for the sick and bury the dead. Many Christians contracted the disease and died too. However, in many cases, it turned out that while the disease left people weak and helpless, all that was needed was for someone to care for them, to keep them warm and fed, and they recovered. Augustine asked the question, why did the Christians stay? And he answers it saying, because they didn't need to increase in their identity or their status. They were royalty in Christ. They didn't need to get rich. Their treasure is in heaven. They didn't even need to live because they are eternally alive. And so they stayed to serve the people in need. Many people became Christians as a result of the sacrifice of those followers of Jesus. Many of those who were cared for by the Christians and recovered now also became followers of Jesus. And many of those who returned to the cities heard from the survivors what the Christians did and they too put their faith in Jesus. The Christians gained influence not by seeking power but by serving. Timothy Keller argues that Christians should be the very best citizens because we enter society with our identity intact. Our identity is not based on what we do, it's based on the fact that we belong to Jesus and that we are children of God, heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That we used to be sinners but our sin has been paid for in full and we've turned from it, we've died to sin even though we used to be slaves to sin. And now we have become saints. We belong to Christ because of the work that he has done for us. And we're now slaves to righteousness, to pursue holiness with all our being. We can approach the earthly city with hearts ready to serve because we already have a secure inheritance in the heavenly city. We need very little, but we have much to give. And God's kingdom comes when believers demonstrate their love for God by the way they love other people. We are to bring the city of God into the city of man. We are to seek the health and peace and prosperity of our city. We are to pray for God's presence and blessing on our city and the people who are all around us. So we're facing a pandemic. Be wise, but don't be afraid. Know who you are in Christ right now. Know where you're going and what is ahead and prepare for that by living fully for him. And above all, know him in person. Live in the wonder of the resurrected life here and now. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Look for his nudges to reach out to others. Talk to people while social distancing in line at the drugstore or the supermarket. People are afraid and they're looking for answers and they're looking for community. We are living in the hardest and the best days of our lives because Jesus is alive. The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray. Our Father, the songwriters express it so very often. What can we do? What can we say? How can we begin to express our thanks to you for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ alone? Our Lord, we can't repay, but we can and we do love. We love you. You are our first love. You are the one who orders every other love that's in our lives. You are our treasure and our hearts are where our treasure is. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift you've given. We pray this in your name. Amen.